right, Shankar, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. I want to start, uh, I know you've been practicing for many years yoga, so I want to start by asking you what you've noticed about yourself, what changes you've noticed within yourself uh, as a result of practicing yoga. It's a great question, Avi, because why do something unless we some return on investment, right? Unless we see that. I've seen it's one thing that manifests itself in a couple of different ways. Swami Satchidananda and Interval Yoga teaches us that it's all your name, it's all your form, it's all your deed, and it's all for good. So it's a nice philosophy, but what does it mean to take that into your heart and practice that in your life? Can, can I, can you, can we really believe that everything that happens to us is all for good, even when it's pain and suffering or pain and suffering of our loved ones? And I was sitting in a satsang in Yogaville once, and Swami Satchidananda said, not an atom moves an inch that is not God's will. And that blew me away, Avi. <laughs> it blew me away. Because it links up to, right, that it's all for good. So nothing happened that's not for our good. So why am I mentioning this teaching? Is because my evolution has been to embrace that truth further and further. And to embrace that truth further and further, one of the outcomes is increased faith. That this thing that happened to me, no matter how good or no matter how painful, is for good. And if I have that increased faith, then good, I've always talked about this, and it, I really, it amazed me. Imagine, he said, living a carefree life where you're not worried about anything. And I don't think I've achieved that fully yet, but I would just say that more and more, I seem to get closer and closer to it. To seeing that things happen, and I'm less bothered by them. Now, maybe in the, the moment that it happens, I'm shaken up. But the recovery is quicker. And when I talk to other spiritual disciples, how long does it take to recover from something that upsets you? Is I think one metric of growth, right? If it takes weeks and months, that's one thing. If it takes uh, hours, that's something else. So what our viewers don't know is that uh, I, I'm going to confess my silliness. Um, Avi, I didn't know that our podcasts are also video casts. So when Avi and I first connected at the beginning of our scheduled time, my room was in disarray. I just moved into this house. There were boxes everywhere. And uh, it was a mess. <laughs> it was a mess. I wouldn't do that to anybody. So we had to take time. This, can I disconnect the camera? Can I read it? Where else can I sit? What about the light? I even went to pull down the shade. And this house is new. So I don't know which shades are hand pulled down and which ones are string pulled down. So I pulled on the string pulled down and the whole shade came down. 
<laughs> but I'm laughing about it, right? Because somehow this was all supposed to be exactly as it was supposed to be. And I'm not really, I'm really not upset about it. I'm just sorry, we took up some unscheduled time. So I think I'm, because that it is true that everything is happening for our good. And even when something difficult or painful happens, I can somehow hold on to the feet of the guru, to the anchor of those teachings. And I won't even take credit for it. It's just a gift that I then can remember this. And it just, when I can move into this space, makes me worry free. So long answer, Bobby, but that's, that's what's come. So what's the, like the internal process that happens within yourself, if you can describe it? So whether the example that you just gave or anything in life that, that, that comes up that might be considered challenging, right? Yeah. Here's the challenging, here's the, the feeling, the, the experience, the pain. How do you transform that into a different direction? What happens for you inside? Right. But it's a good question. You know, my training is in corporate America, and I've worked in some corporations that was zero, zero tolerance for error. So I, I learned to try and prepare and be effective with what I'm doing. So it doesn't mean that you just let everything go and you don't care about anything. It means you do your best, you plan, you exert your effort. You try and be as good as whatever it is the situation is asking for. But then when things don't go as planned, there's a little introspection. There has to be a light turned on facing within at those moments that says, how am I reacting right now? What am I thinking? What am I feeling? Am I stressed? Am I anxious? Am I angry? Am I calm? So I think one thing is that self-reflection, that self-awareness is critical. Gurudev used to talk about turning within. Turning within starts with being aware of what's going on in my mind and my body. And then I think the next, and then of course this is not like, okay, I'm saying I'll do step one, turn within, step two. No, you know, it has to happen a little more automatically than that. But then I think the next thing that happens is, uh, why did this happen, right? There's this self-reflection. And I'm always looking to say, what could I have done differently to avoid this? Like if ever you and I have a chance to do a podcast again, I'll have my room ready. <laughs> but without beating myself up, I just said, all right, is there anything I could have done to avoid this? Yes, okay, next time I'll do it. No, okay, it is what it is. And then probably the third step is to reaffirm that this is all for good. That no matter how you think about it, God, Guru, Divine Mother, Adonai, Jesus, Zarasustra, Buddha, whoever it is that we connect with, to say, your hand was behind this. Now, not to cause me pain and suffering, because we have to acknowledge that we live the results of our past karma. 
So in a way, we're responsible for everything that happens to us. But still, for me to say, okay, you're telling me it's all for good. I'm going to believe that. And then to move for me, move myself into the space where I could let go that this is good. So now that's taking means we're changing the whole paradigm, right, Avi? Because, you know, it's like a, a beast stings you, right? Or something happens and you hurt yourself and you go, oh, wow, you know? And the brain doesn't say, oh, that was good. <laughs> the brain says, holy moly, holy crap. To take that and to redefine it, redefine that experience as something that has goodness behind it is one of the keys. But I think the other thing that's happening, and you're asking me to go down at a granular level, obviously, so I appreciate that, is to recognize this is for good, but I and I don't see it now. Don't see it yet. I think that's the whole thing about our spiritual lives. That's this mystery is that something happens to us at this moment. And we use the moment and our experiences and the immediate outcomes as a metric of is it a good thing or not. But I don't think that's the way the universe goes. I think the universe, oh, it's like a chess game. It's like a chess game. Somebody makes a move. That's not the ultimate move. They're making that move to set up another move five moves later. And I think that's how the divine plays with us. That's the grand lila, right? Is that something happens, but it's part of a larger framework. And so we, that's where faith comes in to say, okay, somehow this will end up being good. Maybe I'll learn from it. Maybe I'll change my view of the world from it. Maybe I'll change my behavior. Maybe I don't see it now, but um, uh, something else will unfold to say, oh, look, that really was for good. And how many times in our lives do we go through difficult experiences? And then when we stop and look and look back, day, hours, days, weeks, months, years, and say, oh, it really was a blessing in disguise. I wouldn't be here doing this or that, or I wouldn't be with this person if that didn't happen. So that's what goes on for me. And again, it's a work in progress because sometimes it will take me days to say, oh, man, this feels so painful. How is this good? And then by God's grace, and it really is, faith is a gift from God. It's not something that I think... Yes, you try and cultivate it, but it's ultimately a, a divine gift. And that gift awakens a little more and you go, oh, okay, it's okay. It's okay. Hmm. I, did I say it in a way that makes sense? Probably? I think so. It's, so what I'm hearing is, you know, you have a practice of, of remembering that there's a higher level that you can't always see and to trust that there's something for good happening for you Mm -hmm. in these experiences that you're having. And so do you find that the more that you practice, the more proficient you become in, in, uh, in going to that place of, of acceptance and, and, and trust? Absolutely. Absolutely. I find that it's easier to shift into that space 
and believing that it's true, having the conviction that it's true. I, you know, I always used to love to think that way, but I couldn't. I couldn't. And it's really only, <laughs> you know, uh, I don't know how people who are listening relate to this. Does God do this? Does the Divine Mother do this? Does cosmic consciousness do this? Any way that we think about it. But it's, um, it's more quickly moving into this space that there is some greater force, greater good. Again, call it God, call it Jesus, call it sacred light, whatever we want to call it, that that is real and that is present in our life and that is guiding everything that happens to us. And of course, it's not rational, right? How can my rational mind understand that? I sometimes think, obviously, okay, this thing, it happened for good. The divine force is behind it. And I think, wait a second now. There's a hundred billion things that are happening on this planet to people at any moment. The divine force is behind all of that. And I think, well, wait a second now, this is just one planet. I believe there are many, many other inhabited planets in the universe. And uh, and the, the and everything that's happening to every living being there is also being di- directed by the divine being. There's no way that our brain can say, oh, yeah, I get that. <laughs> that makes sense to me. No, it doesn't make sense. Though I must confess, there is a metaphor that helps me a little bit, and it is the metaphor of the human body. Look what's going on inside of our body at any time. Look how many cells are working to heal us and keep us healthy and repair disease. And and there are probably hundreds of millions of cells doing that all the time, way beyond our understanding. It's not like I cut myself and we say, oh, okay, uh, let's go heal this right now. No, it happens. Same, I, it's the same force. So sometimes I just, it helps me to embrace a little bit to say in the same way that my body is guiding every cell and so my mind is guiding every cell in my body, the divine force is guiding all of us and everything we go through. And then, of course, we have to just let go of the intellect because faith is not about figuring it out that Letting go of the intellect. <laughs> to me, this is like the, the main the highest practice that there is in the challenge of being a human being, right? Because the in- intellect, you know, sometimes I feel that the intellect is, or the mind is put into kind of a negative category uh, of something that that is bad, you know? <laughs> uh, and that doesn't, that doesn't uh, resonate w- well with me either. What I like to do is honor the mind. Mm-hmm. The, you are wonderful. You know, what you're able to figure out and perceive and what human beings have been able to accomplish with the mind is remarkable. At the same time, don't think that you can know everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, because I can know so much, right. sometimes my mind gets deluded into thinking that it can know everything. Right. And that's the that's the danger. Yeah. You know, um, you know, the monkey mind metaphor. Right. Um, I, I, I love that metaphor because my mind, our minds do sort of seem to have a life of their own. Right. 
start thinking about this and start thinking about that. And one of the great teachings that Swami Sachinananda gave us is that our mind can be our best friend or our worst enemy. It could plague us with fears and anxieties and confusion and misperception of everything that's going on. Or it can help us stay focused on the greater spiritual truths. So you're right. Our mind is a beautiful thing as long as we are managing it as opposed to it managing us. Right. Yeah. And, and maybe the, the it managing us is, is when the ego takes over to thinking mm-hmm. that, you know, my, my opinions are so great. And <laughs> if, if only <laughs> things were the way that I want them to be, then yeah. the world would be a better place. One thing I wanted to ask you about is you know, this, this idea of uh, an ego as pure as crystal, mm-hmm. right? So what does it mean to have a, a pure ego? What, is, what right. does that look like? Yeah, I think it's ultimately about having the mind still enough that it can reflect the divine light, which is us. It's only through that pure mind that we can see who we are. Stillness is the ultimate goal. I should say stillness is the means to the end of that the ultimate goal is that awakening. So just think about a piece of crystal. You mentioned crystal clear, right? But think about a piece of crystal. We can look through it. It's clear. Light comes right through it. There are no impurities. There's no carbon filled with it. It's just beautiful and clear. And it's letting everything come through. And that's us. And that's what we are shooting for, is a mind that is pure and still enough that we can then see who we are, the divine being. We're one with that being. There's no separate, right? The non-dualists, not, not, not this, not that, not me, not you. That's not that separate. Just is it is a, is a, an illusion. So having a pure, still, crystal clear mind and heart allows that light that's within us to shine. But would you say that that is a pure ego or is that a uh, dissipation of the ego? <laughs> it's a good question. I think it's one, I, mean, I think it could be one and the same. I think when the ego becomes so pure, um, then it sort of just steps out of the way. Um, Master Shivananda used to sing, when will I see thee, my beloved God, my divine being? When will I see thee when I ceases to exist? So it's the same thing, right? When will I behold the true divine being when there's no I who's trying to do anything? And then is the ego pure? Is the ego God? I think it's um, it may be academic, right? Yeah. So, do you believe that you know this happens, and then there's no I? Like you have have an experience happens where the the I ceases to exist, 
and then I'm just dissolve into oneness or however you want to put it and remain there? Or is the experience that you can have moments of time where the I ceases to exist and then the I comes back again and then the I ceases to exist again and then it comes back again? Which is it? That's a great question. Once the I is gone, is quiet, is pure, when we have that awakening, there's actually, the scriptures tell us, there's two types of awakening, right? So one is having the samadhis, different types of samadhis, is one having a samadhi where there's still a seed of myself. But, But then the other is having a samadhi where that's gone. That's gone. So the the mind doesn't cease to exist. If it did, everyone with God realized would just be, you know, like that. Um, No, the mind ceases to exist, but then it's a pure instrument. But I remember once, Avi, again, it was another satsang in yoga, though. And someone said uh, to Swami Satchidananda, do you have uh, thoughts that trouble you? Does, has all of your thoughts gone? And uh, he said, no, they're not gone, but I, I don't pay so much attention to them. It's like he, they are in a distance. They are in a background. So when... And I say when we have that awakening as if it's a moment in time. This is the awakening. It's right now. We just want to see it a little more. So the personality still exists. But any tendency to act selfishly is what we are told uh, dissipates. So have you had any moments of that where the where you feel that the seed of of yourself I think as you put it is gone that's not there there's no identity of yourself yeah. and if I mean I guess that's maybe I'll leave it at there have you had any experiences of that and then I'm curious if you have what happens after that yeah. I did have an experience. Actually, I've had an experience one, then I'll tell you a little more what I have a little more often. I had an experience one, once, and I was in a very quiet meditative state, almost like a dream state. And in it, Swami Satchidananda was there. And he went, and I thought it was to give me a nice big kiss, right? He came and he sort of pulled me to him. And instead, what happened is he pulled me into him. With no kiss, he pulled me into him. And there was nothing but light and joy. For however long that lasted, there was no Shankar, there was no Bruce. There was nothing except that pure consciousness, that pure light. And it was joyous.
it lasted for however long it lasted, right? And then I sort of, you could say, quote, unquote, returned to my normal consciousness. So I, I think that was like a, you go to the movies and you see a trailer for an upcoming movie. <laughs> I think that was like a trailer. It's like, okay, this is what's awaiting you when you can stay in that peaceful, peaceful state. But the other thing, obvious, is that when my meditations are really, really deep and I'm connecting with the divine, I feel the jolt of the Shakti going through my entire body. And it is so joyous. Now, I'm not dissociated from my consciousness then. If you say, hey, who's, who's this going? Who's happening this to? Well, I'd say, you know, it's happening to me. So that experiencing that consciousness, uh, I believe we could experience it in different ways, what we're ready for, our beliefs. And I think, and, and this is what the scriptures have told us, is that we can go into that beautiful state and then slowly sink back into, you know, our beliefs that I'm myself. Even in the Bhagavad Gita, you may remember this, there's one scene where Krishna um, and Arjuna were talking. And Arjuna says to Krishna, you know, I, I'm so pleased you act like my friend. We hang out together. You drive my chariot for me. But I know that you really are God. Can you show me your true self? Show me what you really look like. I'd like to have that. I'd like to have that. And Krishna, again, who's God, says, you sure? Are you sure you want to have that? And, uh, and Krishna says, yeah, yeah, I really. Excuse me, sorry, Arjuna says, yeah, I really want that. And then it's a famous painting, a poster of God revealing himself to Arjuna. I even have the painting up somewhere. Arjuna's bowing like this. And Krishna as the divine being. You see all the worlds, all of his faces, all his hands everywhere. And uh, it's overwhelming for Arjuna. It's overwhelming. And at one point he says, Krishna, please, please, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> I can't really absorb your true, vast, infinite self. Could you please return me back to normal consciousness? And then Arjuna sort of comes back slowly. So I do think we can, that's a long-winded way of answering the question. I think we can move into that some semblance of that divine state, right? And then maybe sink back into ourselves. But when we make the real leap, there's no coming back. There's no risk, oh, I'm gonna fall back into my old ways. I think these are maybe, like we said, trailers of what's gonna come. What does that mean, like the real leap, like to become an enlightened person you're talking about or after you pass the leap? No, 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 the final God realization, right? to become a jiva mukti, right? Someone who still has a body, a mind, but is enlightened to the great, great, great spiritual truths of oneself and everything in the universe. So. So someone who's attained that. Yes. Do you think that there are still fluctuations happening for them or no fluctuations are happening at all? I think there's no fluctuations because all the scriptures say once you, once you do that, once you achieve that state, there, it's you, you, it's permanent. You realize it's always been like that. 
it always will be like that, that you are not different than the infinite being, that your true nature is consciousness, infinite consciousness. Master Shivananda and Gurudev sang, Shivoham, 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 Soham. Haruhalume alumasta sachidanandaham. I am Shiva. Shiva, the pure consciousness. I am Shiva. Shiva, I am. In all conditions, I am knowledge, bliss, absolute. I am that Satchidananda. I think when you get there, there's no coming in and out. There's no like walking in the building. Okay, now I'm walking out, so I'll go have an ice cream. I'm, I'm back to being myself. <laughs> in fact, that was a good line. I'm back to being myself. Myself, capital S, the true. That's it. So there's no walking in and out of the building. I am the building. I am that consciousness. That's 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 what I believe. And I promise if I get there, Abby, I'll I'll, I'll let you know. <laughs> I don't know if you can promise that. Because <laughs> once you get there, it's going to be, uh, yeah, you know. Okay, so I'm talking to myself. Here's a promise. If we have to make the hobby, if you grant that, then, I'm, then I got to tell him what's it really like. <laughs> okay, I'm curious what your relationship is with scriptures or teachers, because you're referring to okay, the scripture says this is what the scripture says, and so which path do you follow? In terms of of what you believe is truth, the what the scripture says to, you know, this is so. I believe this is so far kind of beyond me that I'm trusting this. Or is it? Do you look more to your internal experience and your internal guru mm -hmm. to to ask what is what is true? Mm -hmm. So the answer is both. But I'll explain that a little more. If a teacher says, here's the truth, we have the right to say, show me what the scriptural authority for that is. We've been around for 10,000 years. There are great scriptures from so many traditions. You say that's the truth. Okay. What's the scriptural authority for that? Show me. Gurdjieff said this to us. He said, don't believe me. Ask me, what's the scriptural authority for that? And every time anybody sort of said, oh, what is it? He said, that's right out of the Bhagavad Gita. He then quoted right in Sanskrit, right? Or in Tamil. I think that's why he often, we often heard him quoting. Because he was giving us what the scriptures told us. He just translated in such an easy and easy to understand everyday language. So I've always looked for the correlation between what the scripture says and what the teacher says. Right? And I've always found it. I've always found it. Um, I remember once, Avi, you know, Gurudev always said, he once even said, my God is peace. Right? My God is peace. And of course, peace is such an important part of our integral yoga path. I was reading some scripture, and in it, it said, you can have peace as your God. And I go, whoa, that's what Gurudev has always been saying. 
But he never said it's in the scripture, chapter 27. He never said it. But he said, you can have peace as your God. And I just was blown away, right? And so many other times, Gurudev would do something or say something that later on, maybe years later on, I would find the scripture. Not that I was looking for it, but I would come across the scripture and said, oh, right, that's what he said. That's what he meant. So we can trust our teacher, but I uh, I like Gurudev Soda. You want proof? Okay, good. I, I'll give you proof. In fact, Avi, I don't know if you ever heard the story. It's when someone would say, how do you know that someone's a legit teacher? Right? How, how can you assess that, especially before you want to take initiation with that teacher? And he says, here's what you do. He said, break into his house. He wasn't kidding. Break into his house, hide behind the curtains, and see what he does when nobody's looking. Does he seem to be that peaceful fellow, that joyful fellow, or is there, was that just an act that he's, he's, he's somebody else? Check that out, he said. Check it out. Don't believe it for yourself. Check it out. So I really always loved his willingness to go to evidence, right? For what he was teaching. Yeah, but what what I hear you saying is that the evidence is the the scripture, which is the authority. Mm -hmm. So you're saying that the 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 authority is the the scripture itself, whether it's the Bhagavad Gita or the Bible, whatever your tra mm -hmm. uh, tradition is. Mm -hmm. um, really, what I was asking about wasn't like the assessing of the teacher. I was kind of saying like the teacher and the scriptures are kind of, I was putting that in one category, something mm -hmm. external from my own being, whether right. it's scripture or teacher that's outside of myself. Right. So am I saying that this teacher or scripture knows what's best for me more than me? Mm. Or am I searching inside for the, the answer that feels right to me? Yeah. That's my question. Okay, good, good. Thank you for clarifying. And I think my answer is still <laughs> the same sarcastic answer. It's both. <laughs> but let, let me explain a little. Remember I said scripture is, you know, something such that I know he says, you know, validated by scripture. But that wasn't the only thing he said. He said you can you validate this by... A, scripture, and B, your own experience. So he never wanted us to go accept scripture or anything he said that was contradictory to our experience. So how do we digest that? What did that mean? So if... If I had an experience and it felt legitimate to me and, and divine, you say, okay, trust that. Trust that. Go with that. Trust that. Now, as I'm as those words are coming out of my mouth, uh, I'm recognizing that it's it's complicated because what if I'm wrong? What if I'm screwed up? What if that's the very reason I'm coming to the guru to say, I don't know the answer has to be now where you come back to have faith. Faith in the scripture, faith in the teachings. But the willingness to self-assess, right? 
because so let's say maybe I uh, maybe I blew up at somebody and I felt justified. They did something wrong. They're an evil person. This or that. Well, it could be that. Um, am I right or am I wrong? Because I could be wrong. I could be. Oh my God! That was triggered some other stuff going inside of me. I wasn't right to yell at that person. So I think that's where, for me, I'll tell you what I do, Avi. It's a good question. It's very hard. I think what I do is I say, look, I want to know the truth in here. Please show me the truth. I think I know the truth. Please let me know if I'm right or wrong. I don't think I know the truth. Please let me know if I'm right or wrong. And I don't think, you know, God is some person sitting on a throne with a long white beard and a crown of his head, just, you know, controlling the massive waves of the universe. I think our relationship to the divine is very, very intimate and very personal, or it can be. And when we say, please help me, I'm turning to you. If you believe as God is the divine mother, mom, I'm coming to you. I'm your son. I'm your child. I need help. The scriptures say a good mother never turns away a child. Even a bad mother doesn't turn away from their child. So I'm the worst child, Mom, but I, and I really need your help. Well, if you approach any aspect of God with that sincerity and say, please help me, please help me, I will tell you, Avi, 100%, I've always found I've gotten that guidance. Sometimes in the form of intellectual knowledge, sometimes in the form of somebody just saying something randomly. And, oh, no, it's not random. That's what I was looking for. You have to be willing to listen carefully to the whispers in the universe when you ask for that guidance. But I've always gotten it. And if I have that confusion, do I, is it what I think? Is it what the teacher says? Is it the scriptures? Something else? I just say, hey. Beyond, it's beyond me. I'm confused. It's beyond me. Please help. And then I've always gotten that kind. Do you feel that the divine is something outside of yourself or also within? Yes. <laughs> I'm probably a very unsatisfactory interviewee <laughs> because I always keep saying yes, that it's both. But the reason why... It's both, is because, oh, I have a great story to tell you that's like evidence of that. Uh, yes, the, Jesus taught us the kingdom of heaven is within us. All the great scriptures tell us that the answers are within. The answers are within. And yet there are so many stories where devotees have seen God in his, her, its Physical form. Comes, Shiva comes to me. Divine Mother comes to me. And does this or does that. So how can it be inside and not outside? If it's outside, then it's, then everybody, everything says, I am that. Tatwamasi. I am one with that. So how could it be only outside if the scriptures tell us I'm one with that? And if it's, if it's only me, well, I don't get that. 
because I, I have gas, I have pains, I have sorrow, I'm here, this is what my face looks like now. 30 years ago, my face didn't look this way, so I, I can't be that. So it's a wonderful question. It's wonderful contemplation. And I do think that God is all of this. God can manifest in a very distinct form if we love and worship that form. And certainly that divine being, I am my beloved. I'm, I'm wondering, though, is a lot of the suffering that we experience, does that come from forgetting that I am that. Absolutely, bro. Absolutely. I'm, you know, I think, okay, I'm this. Oh, here, I'm good. I have, I have a dear friend. He's just been diagnosed with prostate cancer. He's going through hell. You could understand that. He's going through hell. At this moment in time, he feels that he is the body. He is the body. And if I feel like I'm the body and then I'm diagnosed with some disease, I will be profound suffering because I've forgotten that I'm more than this body. So, yes, I think it, our, our pain and suffering do come from our forgetting the divine truth. I wanted to ask you about you know, counseling, because I know you've done a bunch of that, just relationships in general. It seems to be maybe the the greatest challenge that we have to to have healthy relationships. Mm. What do you think is is key to having a healthy relationship with another person? Mm-hmm. You know, I think we can answer it from several different levels. At the highest level, remembering that I am one with this other person. We are both united together in the divine light. Certainly puts us, everything we go through in a different sense. In a more worldly sense, it comes full circle to what we said earlier. If everything that happens for good and my loved one yelled at me or did something that I perceived hurt me, then instead of lashing back, which is the ego's automatic response, Instead, I say, wait, is there something I should learn about this? Is there something I need to know about myself? Maybe maybe my beloved sees something in me I don't see. They certainly think they do. <laughs> don't tell us, you don't know. You're, you're right. So maybe they're right. And then, obviously, great question. So to know that I am truly one with my beloved, to be open enough to what it is they have to say. And then I think it's also love and forgiveness, of course, have to be in the mix. If they hurt me, do I go to a place of anger or do I go to a place of love and forgiveness? And it's not to say I would stay in a relationship no matter what. But let's use that as our default. When when I, I've been in a relationship since uh, the 70s, I've been married. And uh, when, I, when my wife and I go through difficulties, these days I'm asking 
okay, what could I do differently? What do I have to give up? What do I have to let go of? And also just to know to keep my peace, whatever it is that my spouse says, to keep my peace. Now, I'm quick to give her feedback on what I think she needs to do differently, but I don't. that's not the first place I go because then it's about, okay, well, but, but you, me, but you, <laughs> that's mm. not helpful. But if I think then a little later on in a quieter space, I could say, you know, I know I need to do this differently. I just want to say, when you do that, here's how I feel. Then we can also have a dialogue about it. So non-defensive communication and accountability. Now, I don't know if there's any scripture for that one. I haven't seen it before, but we're enlightened enough in this era to know we're accountable for our own actions and we're accountable for how we affect other people too. That's our love. I was blessed enough, Avi, in college to have a professor who had profound wisdom about accountability and relationships. We used to go to his house, I went to NYU for undergraduate, and we used to go to his apartment in Greenwich Village, and he and his wife taught a course on accountability. And it shaped me all my life, all my life. So yes, we're accountable. We're each accountable. We should love, we should forgive, we should learn, and keep our peace no matter what. Has it been a process for you to elevate that priority of keeping your peace, you know, no, no matter what? Because it does, it does seem like it's a matter of priority to me, right? Like all these different things are in my mind mm -hmm. that feel important, but which one is the most important? So I can make that firm commitment to pe right. peace is, is the number one, yes. you know, and, and, the firmer I am in that, maybe the more I, I can remember. Right. And the firmer I am in that, the better I can listen. When, when we're talking about relationships, deep listening is like the number one priority. I can't listen well if I don't keep my peace. If I don't keep my peace, all I want to do is assert my truth. <laughs> Yes, but you did this, and but I, you know, need this and that. All I could do is just debate. Debates are not helpful in this way. But yeah, if I find I, it so it's it's yeah. so so tricky when we're interacting with 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 other people, right? It's like huh. it's it's spoken about kind of like the vacuum of of meditation, right? Like I can be peaceful you know, on the mat, yeah, right. <laughs> on the cushion. Right. But then when I'm interacting with life, right. that goes out the window. Right. And I, I feel that's really, really true. And what's so challenging is, is all the years that I've kind of conditioned myself to engage with other people when we're using words in a certain way. Mm -hmm. So I'm standing in my peace, what I observe, I'm in, in my peace, right? And then now is the time to speak, you know? It's so hard to speak in a way that's different from what I'm used to. Even if my intention is not to debate, 
if that's what I've been practicing for so long, it feels like it's going to come out in that form where it turns into a debate. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, we want to debate because we want to be right. We want to be right. So that's another aspect in a relationship. The need to be right is deadly, <laughs> right? It's deadly because if, if I'm right, unless you agree with me, that means that you're wrong. So now we have a dynamic where I'm right, you're wrong. I'm telling you I'm right. I'm telling you you're wrong. I'm marginalizing you. I'm minimizing what you're saying. I'm minimizing how you feel. That doesn't float. Right? That doesn't lead to a sustainable relationship. So the willingness to let go of being right is so important. And it's so hard because I know I'm right. <laughs> At least that's yeah. what my mind says, right? I know yeah. I'm right. But if I keep asserting that, this relationship won't last much longer. <laughs> right. Like I've, I've heard it said, you know, do you want to be right or do you want to have a relationship? Yeah, <laughs> <It's> exactly. like, <laughs> that's exactly. the choice, right? Do, do you know um, when Swami Satchidananda would marry people, one, he would always give a talk as, at the latter part of the ceremony. And he would always say that, uh, you know, your relationship would be filled with love and happiness, but you should give each other some hot pickles every once in a while. You know, the Indian pickle, right? <laughs> he said, because that's how you grow. You don't grow by always being lovey-dovey. Oh, dear, how are you? Oh, I'm so happy. Oh, I love you today. I really love you today. And that's it. That's not how we grow. Right? We go by, you know, a partner comes and said, Oh, you got a zit that's the size of a hornet's nest. It looks horrible. You shouldn't go out today. It looks horrible. Okay, now my mind wants to react. Who is she telling me I look horrible? Blah, 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 blah. Chance to be reactive or a chance to go into my peace and probably say, Oh, thanks. Thank you, dear. Sorry, you have to look at it. Thank you. Wow, that's a beautiful response. So, yeah, we can't expect perfectly peaceful relationships. They actually won't serve us very well. But I personally don't feel called to ever have an intention <laughs> to offer someone a, a hot pickle. To right. me, those things just happen naturally. Yes, yes, yes. You know, yes. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he didn't mean like wake up and figure out how I'm going to irritate my partner right, today. Right. Yeah. No, like you said, they happen because we have egos and we're each of us is still learning and growing. So we're going to bump up against each other. Yeah. And he was saying, that's okay. That's okay. Wondering, uh, you've worked with criminal youth a bit, right? Mm -hmm. Anything in particular that you've drawn from those experiences, working with people that maybe are specifically, you know, young and committed crimes and what that experience has been like for them, why they committed a crime and the process for moving uh, through it? Yeah. You know, I did that work uh, many years ago, Avi, and I didn't have our yoga framework. Than, that I do now. But one of the things that all the people who were the most successful in my field did working with these young people is they saw the light within them. They saw the good within them. 
Now, they were no BS people. No BS. They called other people on their stuff. But they still fundamentally, underneath it all, they saw the goodness in the other person. And that's what Swami Satchandranda did in so many cases. Somebody would come to him and a uh, horrible person did horrible things and he would look at them and he'd say, oh, you know, you're really a good boy. You're really a good person. I see that in you. I go, what do you mean? I did this and it. Nah, nah, you're really good. And that would just like shake people out of their own negative self-image and call to the divine within them. So, obviously, young people need a lot of help. Maybe they need a change of environment. Maybe they need help with many other things. But seeing that good or God, just yeah, take away one zero in them, I think is the key. And it's the key in all counseling, the God, right? And maybe all relationships, right? Like I'm wondering yes. about... You know, that to, to, you know, is it possible for us to love everyone, to have that be the foundation? Not that, right, you don't, can't point something out or see that some change could be helpful. But that's the sense that I have of Swami Satchitananda too, is that he was able to do that. He practiced that, loving everyone, seeing the good in everyone. Yes. And, and that is such a, <laughs> what a, what a practice to have. I'm wondering for you, you know, do you find success in that, in seeing, seeing the good in everyone, loving everyone? Um, it's of course a work in progress. Right? Um, I heard something that uh, a dear friend of mine did just in the last 24 hours. And I was saying, what the heck was she thinking? She did something that I think hurt some of the people even hurt into yoga. She felt justified. And you know, can I still see the good in her? It's hard at times like that, right? When someone takes an action that's hurtful to others. But when I talk to them, oddly, it's actually easier to see the good in them. It's easier to remind myself that there's a, this is a divine person just going through their stuff. So I haven't mastered it yet by far, but it's a little easier when instead of thinking about them, interacting with them to see their goodness, that, to, that helps me. You know, I noticed that too. Thank you for reinforcing that because in my own mind, I'll note it like when the other person isn't there and I'm kind of ruminating on what yeah. happened, you know, I'm feeling anger and frustration and all these different things about the person. Right. Um, but then when they're right in front of me and it's kind of like, that's game time, you know, you're looking <laughs> into someone else's eye. Yes. Then you really see how you feel about them. Right. And, and, and more on more and more and more for me, as I'm prioritizing the, the love of this practice, it's like, okay, all the other things are kind of superfluous. Yeah. The yeah. love is the, the important thing. That's beautiful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Shankar, thank you so much. Really appreciated this time and getting to know you and everything that you're doing. Yeah. I'm glad that you're a part of uh, Integral Yoga community for sure. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, you know, my fundamental experience with all this is profound gratitude. Mm. 
So I am so grateful for everything I've been given. Um, and happy, if I could even share a tiny bit of that back with others, that's a blessing. So thank you, brother. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this content and think others might as well, please feel free to share and subscribe.